Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Today's episode of The Main Course has been brought to you by Fairway Market. For more information, visit www.fairwaymarket.com. Welcome, everybody, to the main course. I'm Patrick Martins. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Jack, are you there? Happy St. Patrick's Day, I'm Jack. here, yeah. I escaped for St. Patrick's Day yesterday. Yeah, we didn't leave Brooklyn. But um, actually, my name, Patrick Martins, is actually the French Patrick. So uh, I'm sorry to break it to you, Dorina. <laughs> you, you agreed to come onto the show as a uh, thinking you were being interviewed by an Irish guy. But... Um, <laughs> So you did not go to the parade, Jack? No, I actually went upstate by Pleasantville to a lake. Wow, you left the city. I left the city, yeah. It's unlike you. <laughs> well, uh, it's been a big week for us, Jack. We've essentially been kicking it into gear because the federal government just awarded this station nonprofit status. We can give ourselves a hand for that, right? Yeah, it really means that we are serving a social good and an educational purpose, and it's a tribute to our hosts. And And uh, our archive. Yes, and the archive, for sure. And your work. I mean, that's that's everything. Well, we're going to celebrate it all um, on Tuesday, right? There's a big... Wednesday. uh, On Wednesday. Yes. Thank God. I will change that in my schedule book. (laughs) Um, And Wednesday is a celebration of shows that have had over a hundred episodes that's right yeah um, and how many are there's like 10 shows of yeah, that like category? 10 that have either hit it or about to so so give us an example of some of the 10 who which well, is the oldest the main course was the first to hit 100 You're congratulations to it. yeah um, all right others the farm report was next and then uh, we've got beer sessions unfiltered hit 100 erica wides um the naturalist is about to hit 100 which is so incredible a uh, hundred in more ways than one. Bernie is turning a hundred, <laughs> and uh, but anyway, um, no, that's going to be fun. And where is the event, Jack? It's at Santos Party House, um, which is like West Broadway and Lafayette, maybe, or right, right around there. And uh, how do our listeners RSVP? Right on the website, heritageradionetwork.com. Right on the left, where our news is, there's a link to buy tickets. So, oh, fantastic! Yeah. Heritageradionetwork.com, and uh, it seems like Jimmy's just done a fantastic job. I mean, he's filled up the place with food and people. I mean, it's close to yeah. getting sold out. My I... Twitter was flooded with advertisements for our party, so that's good. Very, very interesting. Well, this is going to be a great show. Actually, this is going to be one of the great shows. Uh, we have uh, Darina Allen, who's going to come on right after uh, the break. But um, listen, Jack, my intros are not usually that good. They're all over the place. No two weeks uh, are the same, and they never improve upon each other. That's but why people can look forward to them. Yes, that's <laughs> why different. people, you never know if it's going to be a shit show or if it's going to be uh, you know, really organized uh Introduction. Well, I do want to just say two things. I was in Costa Rica for uh, a couple weeks, and you know there were some very, very sad zoos being run there. And um, you know, I'm a big animal rights activist. You know, my whole business, Heritage Foods, you know, is about treating animals, you know, the way they deserve to be, especially if we're going to eat them. Um, but I, I, I 
would like to look into, you know, Heritage Foods and this network, you know, being behind some cause. I'm sure there are a lot of, a lot of people doing this out there already. But I think zoos should be run by federal governments or, you know, by the state, you know, 100% of the time. Um, you know, uh, you can't just have a business guy deciding to bring in exotic animals and you trust that guy to, to be correct to the animals. So anyway, that's one thing. And I was talking to my English friend who was on the show last week and he had, there were all these sheep. He sent me pictures of his home and there were all these sheep on these public lands. And um, I think that's a great cause also for the station to take up or other people to take up. I'm sure there are people doing it already. But, you know, American public parks should be populated with lots livestock. Um, you know, I really believe that in San Francisco, you know, they have bison roaming the park there. Um, you know, and I kind of like that. It seems like there would be, uh, a lot to gain, you know, from having pigs or sheep or goats, you know, like in central park and in a sectioned off field or something, kids can come and visit them. All right. I'm off my pulpit. We're going to take a break and come back with the Julia child of Ireland, Miss Darina Allen. Today's program was brought to you by Fairway Market. Whether you are cooking for one or for a crowd, Fairway Market literally has everything you need for a fantastic meal. But if you don't feel like cooking, no worries, they cater. Check out fairwaymarket.com for more information. And be sure to check the new blog, On Our Plate, for weekly specials, health tips, and recipes. going to pronounce these Irish names correctly. All right, I was just joking with Darina that I am worried about screwing up these Irish names. But uh, Darina Allen is our guest. We're really super honored. Um, she was born in uh, Cal O'Hill. <laughs> yeah, she's an Irish chef. Uh, food writer, uh, a TV personality, and founder of Ballymaloo Cookery School in Shangagari, <laughs> County Cork, Ireland. The I Sam- think I'll have to translate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. I'm sorry. I'm really no butchering problem. this. And even though it's the French Patrick, I still am embarrassed for all Patricks that I'm mispronouncing these so badly. Um, Darina has been called the Julia Child of Ireland by numerous groups and including the San Francisco Chronicle. Darina is the award-winning author of 14 cookbooks on Irish traditional cooking. Um, one of, We're going to talk about a few of them, but one of them that I really liked is the Forgotten Skills Cookbook, and now most recently, Irish Traditional Cooking, which uh, features over 300 recipes from Ireland's heritage. She is Ireland's most famous TV cook, having presented nine series of her 
cooking program, Simply Delicious, on television around the world. Well, thank you so much for coming out here on a Sunday, Darina. <laughs> oh, well, it's a pleasure. So tell us about your most recent book and, you know, how it's different than the books that came before it. Before, well, our Irish traditional cooking, uh, which is published by Kyle Books here in the U.S., uh, this uh, focuses completely on Irish food, and it's everything from the food of the, from what the hunter gatherers ate, right to the food of the uh, poor people living um, almost a subsistence existence, to the smaller farms, etc., right up to the fantastic food that they ate in the country houses, the in the aristocratic families, and they many of them had, you know, kitchen gardens. They had their own cooks. They had orchards, lots of spices. I mean, what uh, they made full use of spices, salt and aromatics. So really, they it was fantastic what they were eating. So when people think of just corned beef and cabbage, my, there was so much more there. There really was. So um, now this book has a, a little bit more history in it. It's more fun to read. Like I was reading this section on the pork. The early Irish pig was thin, scrawny, and vicious in temperament. <laughs> yes. Until medieval times, pigs were fattened on mast, the fruit of beech and oak, which was said to give a flesh uh, flesh. Uh, give the flesh a delicious flavor. After the widespread adoption of the potato, virtually every home could afford to rear a pig because the animal could be fed on the surplus potatoes, potato skins, and sour milk. So this book is filled with kind of like interesting insights into the country. Uh, Absolutely. And and as you say, quite a bit of food history in uh, in it and all about our food culture and our traditions in Ireland right through the ages. And it's different from my other books. You know, the Simply Delicious books were uh, the early ones were about food that was simple and delicious. It was all about, um, you know, getting people into the kitchen and, and encouraging them uh, just to look around, get some lovely, fresh local ingredients and cook something. And the recipes uh, really worked in it. So it really gave people confidence and so on. And then the Ballymaloo cookery course, which is a great big one, was sort of goes more or less with the cooking school. And then Forgotten Skills, the last mm-hmm. one, uh, that one was all about uh, reminding people of so many of the, the skills in cooking and so on that were forgotten, preserving and everything. That Give us in- some examples. Oh, well, there was, you know, everything from how to fillet a fish, how to make a piece of bacon, how to, uh, how to pickle, how to make butter. And because this cooking school is in the middle of an organic farm, we have, uh, you know, we produce a lot of our own food. We have three Jersey cows, which we milk every day. So mm-hmm. we teach the students can, if they want to, learn how to milk a cow. You'd be amazed how many of them do. I always say you might never need to milk a cow again, but um, it's, you know, it connects you with how food is produced. But And it looks good on a CV. It certainly gets the conversation started mm-hmm. if you're, you're applying for a job and it says can milk a cow. And then we and then they separate the milk from the cream, a beautiful Jersey cream, make butter. We, the students make uh, butter every day. We make butter at the school apart on Sundays. And then we also make cheese and yogurt. So, you know, there's all that sort of connection. Now, these Simply Delicious books, um, was it kind of like fast food for a working uh, country, you know, that they could just uh, come in, cook? simply and fast uh, without ordering in and is there an infiltration of fast food there I mean Uh, yes there is but it wasn't all about fast food it was just about real food whole food nourishing food and showing people that you know you don't have to go out of your way 
just look and see what's in your garden, what's in the area. It could be you can make a wonderful meal out of potatoes and cabbage. You can make a wonderful cold cannon, have a big lump of Irish butter melting in the centre. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was about taking good ingredients. The whole message was take good ingredients. And then if you start off with really good, naturally produced, well, local food in season, then it's so easy to get it to taste good. Mm-hmm. But if, as we all know, if you start off with mass-produced, denatured food, then you have to be a magician. And that's where all mm-hmm. the twiddles and bows and smarties on top <laughs> come in when you're trying to, you know, compensate for the flavour wasn't there in the first place. So that message went through all of those television series and everything. And people used to say to me, uh, which was a lovely compliment, that after they'd watched the programme, they felt like jumping up out of the chair and running into the kitchen. So <laughs> uh, it was, it got a lot of, gave a lot of people confidence and then as I said the recipes were very carefully tested so when they when somebody did it it actually worked right very good Uh, well we're going to talk at the last segment of the show uh, about the Irish history and traditions but um, just a little bit more uh, so people understand exactly who you are now you started a cooking school the Ballymaloo uh, oh yeah, yes, that's right. is, a, is a cooking school. It's also kind of like a hotel. Well, we have there's we're you know we're a four generational family. So right. uh, we have there's Ballymaloe uh, Country House Hotel, which is what you call an inn, and then there are some restaurants and cafes. And then the, uh, we started the Ballymaloe Cookery Cooking School in 1983, and that's in the middle of a hundred acre organic farm. So we have. Uh, an acre of greenhouses and we have you know our own pigs our own chickens you'd love it actually <laughs> our own cows and all of that so and gardens extensive gardens so so there's all of that and well, then students come from the, all over the world at this they stage come. we're going to talk a little bit about the school now for a bit because it's really fascinating but you said gardens yes so tell me about mick or mike is that, how do you pronounce it? He's been your gardener for well, 50 years? Uh, yes, well, actually, he's just retired, but he oh. was. But quite a lot of uh, people who are working with us at Ballymaloe uh, have been, that we have another man called Joe, who was originally a shepherd on the farm, and he's been with us for over 60 years now. A shepherd? What's a uh, shepherd? A shepherd is looking after the sheep. So really, yes. and they would go from field and to field, like field. in the old days. Yes, and then we needed a bit more help uh, in the dining room, so, you know, he put on a suit, came up, and, and you know, gradually learned. And so he's been with us for over 60 years so a lot of our staff have been with us for a long time and then we have people coming in and out and interns and so on as well now you have a 12-week certificate course um and also uh, now tell us about that and then you also have day-long courses so yes, this is for tourists or people who live in ireland yeah right? well they there's the the 12-week certificate course there's, that's a really intensive full-on course for people who want to earn their use their cooking skills to earn their living and people literally come from all over the world there are 10 nationalities there at the moment and we have one teacher with every six students the first thing we teach them on the first day is we teach uh, uh, the first recipe they get is how to make compost mm-hmm. and then I first thing I do is introduce them to the gardeners and the farm manager and I uh, say these are the people who are growing and producing a lot of the food you're going to be cooking with for the next 12 weeks and it's taken Eileen there or Holly 12 weeks to grow those beautiful beets or carrots and don't you dare boil the hell out of it when you get into the kitchen mm-hmm. and then we walk through the gardens down to the farm and the first thing we show them how to do then is how to sow a seed Mm. And then and they plant a little plant into the ground and then they uh, watch that growing for the next 12 weeks. And it's like this is a really important lesson because it, they suddenly realize how long it takes for something to grow mm-hmm. and that it has to be looked after and and watered or an animal has to be fed and all of that. So it gives them a, a real respect 
for food and the people who produce it. So that's really important for me. What is really the uh, curriculum? Me. I mean, uh, is there, do you teach classic French technique? Oh, or? Everything. We basically, we, our, our basis of what we do is the sort of food we serve at Ballymenu, where the menu is written every day, depending on what's there and what comes in from the boats and so on. Uh, but basically, we also have, you know, Mexican influences, uh, Italian influences, Indian, etc., etc. From, uh, from all over the world, we can dip, I think. But the main thing is, is the all the ingredients come in fresh, so we make breads every day, fish, starters, and everything is done from scratch. The, mm-hmm. the meat is butchered, the, we make butter every day and, and uh, yogurt and cheese uh, from the milk of the cows and then also the we fill it the fish comes in whole so we fill it so it's really about connecting the the 12 week students particularly with how food is produced I wouldn't if I had my way <laughs> I'm such an old whatever I would not let any body chef or cook into a restaurant kitchen unless they'd spend time on farm or in a garden mm-hmm. so they really knew how food is produced were really connected and had a real respect for not only the ingredients but also for the people who spent their lives producing this kind of produce for us and the farmhouse cheese makers and the artisan producers and so on well take us one step outside of your immediate school then uh, talk about i i selected these two foods uh, the fish because um, I know that there's a, a group of fishermen that you work with directly and, and cheese. I know there's a huge renaissance of cheese in Ireland. So can you talk about, is Seamus Sheridan? Uh, is oh, he, he absolutely. The Sheridan brothers are iconic in Ireland. They, so start with cheese. Tell us about well, the renaissance. You know, one of the most interesting things that's happened on the uh, food scene in Ireland in the last 30 years has been the emergence of this the farmhouse cheese industry and also artisan food uh, production, basically. So it started really when we had a surplus of milk when there were subsidies uh, in the EU and people had a surplus of milk uh, and uh, then a lot of few women, particularly farmers' wives, said we can't just throw this out, it's beautiful milk and they started to warm the milk and make a little cheese in a very you know, sort of experimental way on their kitchen tables and so on and the, the people like Veronica Steele who made the Malines cheese, Jaina Ferguson who makes the Gabine cheese and uh, and many others. In fact now, one of the early ones uh, made a Cashew Blue, made by the Grubb family uh, in uh, County Tipperary, is available over here, as well as the Irish butter and all of that. So they started to make raw milk cheeses, and it grew from then. And they had a wonderful, always the cheesemakers and the arson producers, they seem to be really feisty characters, really interesting people. I'm sure it's the same the world over. And so they were very generous with their information, taught each other. And out of that then has come... Uh, for all of us, this this really wonderful produce, these farmhouse cheeses, often made on the farms and called by the name of the farm, as well. So have, they have a ta- real taste of that place, of the of that pasture, of that. Yes, and of course, in Ireland, all our we can grow grass like nowhere else in the world because of our climate. So a lot of our best produce, our beef and our lamb and our dairy products, come, uh, come from our grass. And there are no hormones. The uh, cattle are automatically fed on grass pasture raised, as you call them. Over here, so the quality of our butter, which is now widely available, Kerrygold is widely available over here. Uh, so uh, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's just what we are. It's not something new. It's how it's always been, always will be. The grass feeding of the animals. It's there. The grass is there. I first met uh, Seamus Sheridan when he came to the Salone del Gusto, which was the very big slow food uh, <laughs> biannual event. And he, you know, called the international office two days before the event started. He had like kind of a 
a car's worth of cheese in the back. He had a rucksack on his yeah, back. Yeah, I remember yeah. smelling him. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and I literally got him through the gate. Yes. And then he started what yeah. ended up being an awesome, you know, history with slow food and, yes. uh, you know, being involved in cheese, yeah. their big event. And now tell us about these fishermen. I mean, what waters are they fishing oh, on yes. and what fish are they well, bringing actually, back? Well, uh, actually, Ballymaloo, uh, where I come from, which means, by the way, the town's land of sweet honey. It's a very okay. ancient name. Uh, and uh, that is right beside the sea. Our little fishing village is Ballycotton, right beside us. And uh, so we get the fish that comes in from the boats of Ballycotton. We have fantastic fish around our uh, tiny island, of course, lots of coastline. So we have wonderful fish, cold waters, mm-hmm. huge variety of fish and shellfish. And uh, we still have some day boats so we try to buy the fish from the day boats uh, rather than the boats that are out for several days so we get you know all the flat fish round fish and lots of uh, shelf you know lobsters crabs all that wonderful things as well scallops and so on yeah, very, very nice. And so, uh, and then you get a certificate at the end of this course, right? 12 week uh, tw- intensive course. Uh, yes, you get exactly. A diploma. Uh, you, yes, they're, uh, not a diploma. It's a, called a certificate because you have to do a year. You, you need to do a year for a diploma. So uh, there are exams, both written and practical, and it's recognized all over the world uh, now, the Balamu Cookery School Certificate. Have you ever made kinding, the Brazilian dessert, in your uh, in your school? Never even heard of it. No so one ever to, does it. You'll have it's to a, teach me how to do that. Well, I have no idea. Idea, but I know it's my favorite dessert. Well, yeah. we're going to take a, a short break and we're going to come back and learn about this amazing Allen family. It goes back four generations and it has its tentacles and all things sustainable and interesting in Ireland. So we'll take a break and come right back with Dorin Allen. Everyone is searching hard, gazing out upon the stars, realizing true love's hard to find. Many people won't awake, never making same mistakes, chasing dreams that soon leave them behind. We're back. I hope you're interested, Jack. We've yeah, man. My, Julia finger, Child. my fingers are busy typing. <laughs> good, good. Well, this is a very interesting uh, family. Darina Allen is uh, part of a family that goes back four generations, and uh, they're just involved in a lot of things. So this is a really tough question uh, to spring on Darina, but tell us a little bit about some of the you know key players in the family tree especially let's start with the old guys first the real the starters <laughs> well of it the, all. Uh, the real heroine of this piece is is uh, Myrtle Allen and Myrtle my Allen. Uh, Myrtle Allen and my now late father-in-law Ivan Allen who uh, had uh, you know bought this old country house, rambling country house in 1948 in the middle of a 400 acre farm and uh, so uh, and reared their children there and he was a farmer and uh, and, and 
and had greenhouse and all of that. So when the children were had gone to boarding school, they were rattling around in this big house, 16 bedrooms or whatever. Anyway, so the marital decided she'd start a little restaurant and just serve the food, write the menu of day to serve the food that she served to her family and friends. And so anyway, never have more than 20 people, but things got out of hand a bit after yeah. a while. Never have more than 20. That was a rule of hers. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, she's, they started that then and then they had the little country house at was the first in the British Isles. And she, as I said, she just served the kind of food that nobody served in restaurants at that time. It was kind of like family food, but really quite sophisticated uh, what you serve to your guests if they were coming to dinner party. So anyway, I came to work there uh, from a hotel school. I had done hotel management in Dublin. I'd heard about this woman who, you know, was uh, making, uh, uh, who was writing the menu every day at a time when in Ireland, most people just, when they started a restaurant, they opened the, they wrote the menu as the same 10 years later. So, right. and they were using their Jersey cream to make homemade ice cream and thing. All the rest. So anyway, then she has six children and then now there's a, there are four generations right down to her great grandchildren. But did she make up her own recipes or did she call upon Irish history yes. or were there just things she had well, seen on her travels? Well, basically, she taught herself gradually how to cook. She couldn't cook at all when she got married, but she uh, she was a, a, a loved mastering art of French cooking, Elizabeth David's, you know, the books as well. So she gradually uh, taught herself how to cook and uh, and she had a very appreciative husband. If you want to cook, you need an appreciative uh person to eat it. Was he a portly fellow? Uh, Not really, no, but he just loved his food and he, you know, I always say, a lot of women tell me they can't stand cooking and it's mm. a lot of the time it's because they have to cook and nobody ever lifts their head out of the plate to say thank you so I'm always reminding people to, to, give, a, to give a hug to the cook <laughs> but anyway there's, so now there's four generations and how, big, uh, how many people have you ever oh, counted the you number know, I'm, I keep me into count but I think there's over 50 of us or something wow. but all we have a whole lot of different businesses under the Ballymanu umbrella so to speak and uh, we all are financially independent of each other so it's really important in a family that that the business are separate. So one of my sister-in-laws has the Ballymanu shop and a little cafe at the end of the shop. And what's that? What do they sell and uh, what they, she serves? Well, she sells really, it's a, it's a craft shop, but also a kitchen shop as well. And then wonderful little cafe at the end. Another brother-in-law has, the he converted to the, one of the grain stores into a wonderful music venue where they can have weddings and, you know, everything from children's playgroups to whatever. So it's like whatever. catering kind uh, of. That's a lovely sort of space in one of the grain barns. And then, uh, you know, there, another sister-in-law makes the Ballymaloo uh, country relish which all of Ireland is addicted to and now Tell actually me about this it's available relish. over here yeah it's available here yeah. where can people buy it well it, people can buy it well you certainly can buy it in Dean and DeLuca, Dean but, and DeLuca. but there are about 200 other outlets as well so if you go and look at the website the Ballymaloo country relish website well then you'll find out where to get it is relish a big Irish thing uh, not necessarily but this is a family recipe that's come down to uh, several generations it's been made in small batches it's made with really good ingredients and there's no Add, there's no preservatives or anything. So, actually, is it, it like a chutney? Or it's relish? like a, it's like a chutney. It's yeah. like it's and it's tomato based, but with spices and so on. It, it's really good. We were all you know brought up in it, and it's just uh, people used to smuggle it into America and Australia, but now you can actually get it here. Uh, so that's great, and it's Has it great. Has it lost with, anything now that it's mass produced? No, because it's all still made in small batches. Okay, and you know there are no preservatives. And it's fantastic with Irish cheddar cheese, like the Dubliner or something like that. Is really good with that. Now, how did they did they sell the business to? The 
bigger company no, or no, do they still no, maintain it? No, absolutely not. It's still the, the family stirring the pots and so on. And it's this is not a kind of marketing thing. This is what it is. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And But anyway, there's that. And then there's another, a lot of the, the grandchildren then have also started businesses. Uh, Ted, who's married to Roisin, uh, they have something called the Wild Side Catering. He was the first chap in Ireland to do what you called hog roasts or whatever over oh, here. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he goes all over the country doing that and doing catering. And then there's another uh, uh, one of the nephews called Cully and they have a business called Cully and Sully where they do ready meals and soups, homemade soups. And it okay. just tastes so wonderfully homemade. And they have taken, they've won all sorts of uh, young entrepreneur awards and thing, and they've taken over a huge, uh, something like 40% of the soup business in Ireland. Huh. And it's made to no preservatives or anything in it. And they proved that you can make uh, something on a very large scale but still using really good ingredients and then another uh, one of my son-in-laws Rupert uh, married to my daughter Lydia they have run farmers markets mm. and actually I was also involved in Ireland in restarting the whole new farmers market movement in Ireland there are about 160 farmers markets now really when was the first uh, uh, early ones well, were like in the 80s uh, early yes 80s? it was in the uh, let me just think it's about 17 or 18 years ago I was over in San Francisco visiting a friend of mine Mary Risley who owns uh, uh, you know the uh, uh, Tom Marie's cooking school over there, and I saw the a very early farmers market. Yeah, not the one at the very not plaza. the one at the they very were like three blocks yeah, up. The one before that. Yeah, uh, which had that one cafe where everyone would like you'd have to wait exactly. two hours for coffee. And I which was, you still do at the very plaza. Yeah, well, it's fantastic because I suddenly, you know, I was really worried being from a farm about. They've, uh, very often farmers are simply not paid enough for what they produce to produce really good food. Mm-hmm. And on one side, you had farmers who were desperate to sell their produce locally. And on the other side, you had producers who wanted it. because. But because a lot of the supermarkets had gone over to a central distribution system, the local farmers couldn't sell to the local shops anymore because they were buying from central distribution. So when I went mm-hmm. and saw this market, it was like a light bulb going on. And I thought, well, we have to restart the markets again. And I came back to Ireland and uh, got a little st- and put on my shawl and went into the coal key in Cork mm. where for 400 years uh, people had been uh, trading there much I was still on television at the time much to the amusement of the real shawlies when uh, they saw me coming in uh, and uh, they thought it wouldn't last but I still what if were I was you selling oh uh, organic vegetables and and jams and pickles and things and you from, were the only one there no 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 there are about five or six of us who were still, initially started okay. including Frank Heatherman who does that wonderful smoked artisan smoked fish at, from Bell Valley near Cove and uh, uh, three or four other of the How long had it been since that market had been Uh, active? No, that market was active but a lot of, but it uh, it is was selling kind of old clothes and not really you know f- food like that although we have a, another wonderful market in Cork called the English market so this was a complete revival and actually it was really interesting when I started the farmers markets first I wrote about it in the Irish farmers journal which is a, a goes down into every lane every parish in Ireland and I, I and I suggested that this was a great way forward for at least some farmers and so on to get the full amount of money into their hand and to get mm-hmm. the credit for the and I got hate mail I I got letters from farmers saying are you really how dare you insult us how are you really suggesting that we get back out on a stall and sell off the side of the street I'd rather be on my knees you see because of our history it was considered to be uh, you know it was you know you'd want to be on your knees to do that and then about so it was very interesting a lot of people a lot of real farmers found it very difficult to come into farmers markets it's changed now and uh, I you know the next time I wrote about it in the farmers journal I had people write 
writing to me for a, I did a kit on how to set up a farmer's market mm. and uh, sent it to people and now they're uh, there and even though in Ireland now the economy is really going through a very challenging time as you know but still the farmers markets and the artists the food of the arts and food producing cheesemakers uh, are a lot of the cheesemakers and they're actually doing as well if not better mm-hmm. than they were before because people trust it's a bond of yeah. trust and people say and well, actually I, it's not yeah. that much more expensive you know i mean if yes. you eat a very rich piece of blue cheese you yes. just need a lot less of it and yes. you know i always uh, i wonder i mean is uh, commodity food uh, much less expensive than for instance the vegetables you would charge uh, well you would sell? not really but there yeah. is a perception probably over here too that farmers markets are more expensive and so on but look hello look how much depends on the food we eat yeah. uh, and uh, you know our food just to remind ourselves that our food should be our medicine instead of buying bottles of and pills and everything else if we get a lovely and it doesn't have to be expensive some lovely potatoes covered in earth some lovely fresh cabbage you know some lovely beans this is not expensive ingredients mm-hmm. but you have to be able to cook it's really important to to be able to cook to turn really doesn't have to be expensive ingredients into something delicious and nourishing and wholesome. The only time Americans understand that if they're hungover, they know that like a steak breakfast or a bacon, <laughs> egg and cheese sandwich will get them over their hangover faster. Yes. But then they don't apply that to being a little weak. weak. Uh, you know, I'm like, eat a hamburger, exactly. you know, with oh bacon God, on yes. it. You'll feel good, you know. Yes. But this is really so important because so much of the food we're eating nowadays is empty food. It's not yeah, real food. Calories. And it's actually nutritionally deficient. So that's, I'm sure, that's what's at the base of the whole obesity problem that so much of the food we're eating is simply not delivering on nutrients either for our body or for our mind yeah. and it actually makes your mind play tricks as well when you're not getting the, nut- the proper nutrients yeah, exactly. so you get hungry right yeah. away yeah. well I wanted to ask so now when you did this crazy farmer's market well you know what people deemed was crazy at the time farmer's market thing and also as all your family opens all these new businesses I mean how do you maintain quality you know that you don't have a great grandchild that comes out with the <laughs> crappy product i mean is there like an internal <coughs> tasting committee well do you know when you're brought up in this whole environment it's not that there's we all there's a it's not about having to reach an expectation people it's just the way it is you know uh, you just uh, there hasn't been a problem yet that somebody wanted to sell something that was lesser less of lesser quality because we all believe and uh, believe in and know that it has to be quality to be uh, to be good basically and for it there has to be a usp and it's not something that's kind of just a marketing thing or whatever we want people it you know if you're selling something it can be just one thing that you're passionate about and your reputation depends on that as well so it has to be terrific and you know particularly if you're selling direct and we have a lot of contact with the people we're selling to you're looking at them straight in the face and you have a relationship with them and we all feel so strongly about the the importance of food that nourishes and also of passing on the skills to the next generation and so on to you know to educational systems with the schools and uh, within and at the Ballymaloo Cookery School itself. Well, we've just, um, this has been fascinating so far. We've just looked at the internal history, the the kind of uh Alan Blood that is going through the pumping through the Irish sustainable food system. We're going to take a break and come back and talk about Irish history, connection to England, Prince Charles, slow food, Grandmother's <laughs> Day. So stay tuned and uh, we'll be back in 60 seconds.
It's uh, Sunday. We are the main course. We're sponsored by Fairway Market. We're produced and engineered by Jack Ginsley. I'm Patrick Martins. In studio is Darina Allen, the Julia Child. Do we have a Julia Child sound effect, Jack? Oh, man, I should get on that. Yeah, Julia Child one or Peter Kump. You just know, like a, maybe just a quick laugh from Julia James Child. Beard, a young, uh, you know, uh, uh, a portly, hefty <laughs> laugh. So, um, well, it's been fascinating. I mean, we've covered really a lot. I mean, the the cooking school, the 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 hotel, and and, and uh, the whole family history. I mean, this is truly. I mean, the number the they are the Kennedys of <laughs> Ireland. So uh, you know, it's a very very fascinating place to visit and and, and look up on the internet and to read these books. Um, but of course, the backdrop. Uh, you know, for everything that you do on a global level is, you know, that Ireland isn't, it's kind of almost joked about, as is England, you know, for having horrible food and <laughs> and everything. So just tell us a little bit about the history of Irish cooking, of course, the famine and, you know, how it's come to be uh, the way it is today. Well, you know, the thing is that in Ireland, <clears throat> Ireland is now, we call it the food island. And uh, we've always been very fortunate in Ireland to have um, a high percentage of rich, fertile soil. We're surrounded by water, little island. So we have a long growing season. Uh, we can, and so we can produce fantastic quality produce. And that's right back from the time they're hunter gatherers. And, we're, you know, they were eating the fish and the shellfish from around the coast and so on, right up to now. And actually, What's happened in a way now, even though things are tough in Ireland, uh, food is one of the main drivers of the economy. So uh, it's, uh, you know, it's always been, uh, we've always had the natural resources. We have the climate to grow really good food. Well, what do you export? We export ninety uh, percent uh, of our beef, a, a huge pro- percentage of dairy products, a lot of the milk powder from uh, something like thirty per- more than thirty percent of the milk powder from around the world comes from Ireland. And again, is our, this also within the EU? This is Ireland is in within the EU, yes. But we also export right around the world. Okay. And uh, our da- a lot our dairy products as well. Um, and we've uh, we had the uh, you know the, there was a butter market in Cork for over a hundred years where it was the biggest butter market in the world. So uh, we are, food is one of the main drivers of our economy now and we are blessed, naturally blessed to produce uh, wonderful produce. So So why is it that there's this bad reputation? I mean, what is it behind? Is it in the poor homes or is it that the wealthy or is it that chefs uh, restaurants have not opened there like what is the kind well, ba- basically there's no stereotype. doubt about it there was there is a sort of perception that we live on corned beef and cabbage and all of that but what there's i think in a way people cooked uh, their food very simply for many years they just cooked uh, the simple ingredients that were around them depended where you were in the social strata of course uh, but also uh, the uh, so the perception is of that but now in the last uh, 25 30 years there's in this incredible renaissance as I explained to you about the arts and food producers and farmhouse cheesemakers and so on and then uh, the country was much more affluent people travelled we got more confidence in what we were doing and you have to travel to realise what you have under your own uh, very often under your own nose mm-hmm. is 
terrific quality. So that's all happened. And so now uh, people realize the word is getting out that you can come to Ireland, not just for the lovely scenery and the friendly people like people used to come for. But now that there really is do a little homework and you can find fantastically good real food right around the country. Mm -hmm. Now, I was just given uh, by a friend an advanced copy of uh, Prince Charles's uh, speech at Georgetown University about the future of food. And, um, you know, I know he's English or Irish, but I mean, there's a close connection between those cultures. I mean, can you speak a little bit about uh, Prince Charles's kind of like, you know, radical views on anti-corporate? I'm a big fan of Prince Charles, actually. I've been fortunate to meet him several times and and, uh, dine with him and so on. So I I believe he will be absolutely seen as a visionary. And, you know, for a while, he was kind of slightly laughed at and joked at, thinking he was a little bit Mm -hmm. uh, flaky about the whole thing. But my goodness, as far as I'm concerned, he ticks all the boxes in terms of, uh, you know, a philosophy that resonates with me. And he's for many, many years, he doesn't just walk the walk. uh, He doesn't just talk the talk. He walks Mm -hmm. the walk. He has the farm. He's many, many wonderful projects. So he's, he's really inspirational, Prince Charles. He is actually the most radical politician in the world I mean or you know person of yes. figurehead within politics yes or and he looks at the it. bigger picture as yeah. well and so on and uh, it's gradually you know it's like everything else it's like water dripping on the stone it's obvious that what he's been saying mm-hmm. over and over again for many years is is really an important message for all of us for sure and of course you know talking about international movements and figures i mean slow food that's where we first met yes. back in i guess 1998 or 2000 or something like that yes at terra uh, madre i think yeah mm-hmm. exactly so um now talk about your slow food work and i know you're big into these educational projects, projects. With yes well i head up slow food in ireland i've been a member of slow food probably as long as you have yeah. and uh, so we have a convivia at uh, uh, at um, east cork in in uh, ireland and we have a slow food educational project there where we link in with about nine local schools all of whom have to have a school garden and a compost heap and everything like that and uh, so we teach the the children how to cook and how to grow basically so what happens is they each uh, uh, and then we also send we raise money through the East Cork Soul Food Educational Project Uh, we uh, and we send a chicken coop coop do you call it a coop or chicken arc uh, to every school with two hens in it so the children can learn how to keep chickens and the children actually look after the chickens they feed them scraps from the school lunches and so on and then collect the eggs which they take home on a rotor basis and uh, then they clean out the chicken coop and put the manure onto the compost heap uh, and they know that that activates the compost mm-hmm. and that goes back onto the soil to make in their little vegetable plots to make the soil more fertile so this is all a very important learning thing the whole part of your zero waste uh, exactly plan. absolutely and uh, then actually at the cooking school Balmue Cookery School the scraps from the morning's cooking get fed to the hens and come back as eggs a few days later the students actually on a rotor basis feed the hens and then it goes on to the compost heap so making compost is it's all about the soil good yeah. food is all about the soil and about nourishing and feeding the soil but the uh, east cork Soil food educational project the response we get to that from the from the parents and the kids and and the teachers is phenomenal they come up mm-hmm. to the cooking school and we teach them how to cook and they lay the table and they put little flowers on the table to go out and pick up the eggs or pull the rhubarb or pick the elderflowers because we do quite a lot of foraging and encouraging people to eat wild foods mm-hmm. and all of that as well we've been doing that for 15 20 
20 years. Uh, I would so, never trust myself with the mushrooms. I would always be afraid. Did you ever see that Sean Penn movie where it's a true story about the poor kid who ate yeah, this mushroom yes. and died? I mean, I, I, I would... Know. Yeah, well, I, that is a fear, I, I, right? It is, but, you know, I'm not a... I, I don't know so much about mushrooms, so I stick to absolutely what I know mm-hmm. and so on. So, but, it, you know, there's lo- lots of other wild things growing all around us. Right through the earth at the moment, there's lots of wild garlic, I think what you call ramps, and then there'll be elderflower in a few weeks' time. And, and, and then, so right through the year, and we do courses actually on it's called <laughs> a walk on the wild side with Dorita Allen oh, and we've been doing that both in uh, spring and autumn and uh, you know years ago when I started doing those 15 or 20 years ago you know there were maybe 20 or 30 people on them now they're totally oversubscribed every time and it's really good that people realize the importance of wild foods from sure. a nutritional point of view because they're foods that haven't been in any way uh, you know tampered with and they have their full complement of vitamins and minerals and it's yeah. what we need at that time of the year but I have to tell you about the, the, the Slow Food Education Project. In one school alone, where uh, we have linked up with Bally Credden School, they, in the first year, 20 parents got hens for the first time at home, mm-hmm. and uh, 35 parents started to grow vegetables for the first time. Mm. And that was because the kids came home and said, Mammy, Mammy, Mammy. And it's better than that, because with the chickens, uh, two different children from that school uh, started to do rear, uh, uh, had their own hens and started to look after, uh, sell the eggs to their parents oh, and their wow. neighbours. So they start, it, it's also teaching entrepreneurial skills. Sure. So that's really important. And that just thrills me when you get that sort of response. I, uh, that, that is awesome. Uh, as an entrepreneur, that, to me, that sounds fantastic. So tell us about Grandmother's Day. Oh, yeah. There's also um, a number of years ago, three or four years ago, actually Alice Waters, who's a wannabe grandmother, and myself, we launched... Uh, a wannabe grandmother? A wannabe said? grandmother. <laughs> uh, so she and I uh, feel very strongly about, uh, as many others do, about passing on the skills. And often, uh, grandmothers like myself, uh, we have you know, to a certain extent, we're guardians of a certain amount of inherited wisdom at this stage. So we have, a, there's an international Slow Food Grandmother's Day. It's on the 21st of April. So on, uh, on that day, we encourage grandparents all around the world, and in our case in Ireland as well, to gather their grandchildren around them if they're close to them. And on that day, uh, particularly, show them how to cook or uh, how to grow something. Grandads can be involved as well. And, uh, and just passing on the skills. And it's a very sp- special bond between grandparents sure. and grandchildren so it's lovely to nurture that and also of course years ago people automatically learned how to cook and everything else by you know from one generation to another now that has been broken for several generations and as a result a lot of our young people are are really almost helpless they've left themselves you know they they concentrate on set of academic skills which are considered to be of more value in the educational system in many of our countries not using their hands than life skills or life skills and and uh, and cooking skills and so what happens is if you lose your job and if you're you can be a lawyer or whatever and suddenly you can't make yourself a cup of you can't make a little omelet or a spontaneous pasta or bowl of porridge so we must as parents and grandparents we mustn't let any more of our little dotes out of our houses without equipping them with these life skills. My mother uh, wanted me to become uh, able to read music. So she's like, then you go to any bar and you play these old songs (laughs) and they'll pay you thousands of dollars in a week. (laughs) So, um, But you have to be able to eat. You can survive without being able to play music, which is fantastic, but you have to be able to to, uh, to nourish yourself. Yeah, otherwise Um, you're finished. I guess she knew I couldn't cook, so that's why she said, get a job at a bar, you know, then you can (laughs) eat. 
Um, <gasps> now, can you give us a, a St. Patrick's Day recipe, uh, even though it's just missed when people search the website? And, of course, St. Patrick's and some of the traditions are for the general time period. Yes. It doesn't have to be only on the 15th. Well, I was uh, last night I was uh, invited by lovely Mona Talbot, whom you may know. Mona! I Mona, love Mona yeah. Talbot. She's uh, in charge be, of the cooking well, school used to, in Rome, right? Well, she used to be at the American Academy in Rome. She's here in Brooklyn now. Okay. And I came and I brought some Irish uh, uh, white, uh, white flour and wholemeal flour and she had some buttermilk and a bit of cream and I made a loaf of soda bread in a couple of minutes. So let oh, me tell you how quick it is. You can make it in America. This is soda Bread. This is soda bread. Okay. Uh, so basically, when you next time you need some bread, instead of you know finding your car keys to go down to the local shop, you turn on the oven. You mm-hmm. get a nice big bowl and you put into it a pound of flour. It could be a mixture of, of wholemeal flour and white flour, and put that in. Put a, a teaspoon of uh, salt, a teaspoon of bicarbonate of soda or baking soda, and run your hands through it to make sure it's well mixed. Make a little well in the center. Pour in about 16 fluid ounces of buttermilk. I put a dash of cream into it if it's a low-fat buttermilk because a lot of it is over here. And uh, then start, make your hand into a, a, your, a claw with your fingers outstretched like that. And then stir it in a full circular movement, all the milk in, buttermilk in. And then by the time you get to the outside of the bowl, the bread is made. A little mm. bit of flour on the worktop, turn it out, uh, form it into a, a round pat it out about an inch and a half thick and then cut across that's the traditional blessing and then you prick it in the four corners to let the fairies out of the bread because if you don't let the fairies out of the bread the fairies will jinx your bread and it won't be good and so you put a poppet into the oven at about uh, 450 turn it down after 10 minutes or so and leave it in for another uh, 30 minutes and take it out put it on a wire rack cool it break it in the centre and cut it from the thing and slather it with good Irish butter and a salted butter oh my god how good is that it's the easiest way to win friends and influence people we've just lost jack has just left the building he's making soda bread i had to go turn my oven on yeah, yeah you were back thank god you live right yeah outside. you wouldn't be back from the shops by the time it's out of the oven what an amazing show dorina can you give us a website uh, your favorite website for how people can learn and visit and, and, and yeah. google well and basically www.cookingisfun dot ie or ballymaloo.com uh, will get you you know and each of the websites are linked into each other you can also just search Doreen Allen that's the easiest yeah. to spell there's no silent letters in that yeah. it's D-A-R-I-N-A right. and Allen A-L L-L-E-N and it is just a fun website to look to because it has links to what all the kids are doing all the grandparents all the history (laughs) you see pictures and uh, yeah what a fun place to visit and if people are in the area if they're in Ireland they can just pop in for an afternoon's cookery class and our gardens are open to the public they can wander around the organic farm and stuff as well we'd love to see them we'll tag your cell phone number so everyone can just call direct no just kidding we don't have (laughs) Jack does not have your cell phone number it's okay but this has been a fantastic interview uh, thank you so much. Now you're going to kindly sign my Irish traditional cooking book, which has just been released. It's over 300 recipes from Ireland's heritage. And uh, this is what Alice has to say about the book on the cover. Uh, Darina Allen's beautiful and unpretentious vision of cooking is connected to the land, its seasons, and to the artisan producers. I find this book important and irresistible. So go to your bookstore and buy it. Darina, thanks so much for uh, coming in. Thank you. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. 
You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.